The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2019 Campus Outreach New Year's Conference. More information about Campus Outreach New Year's Conference can be found at conycnd.com. Heavenly Father, thank you. Uh, this afternoon, right now, we live under your son's reign and his authority and his salvation for us. And we've been adopted into your kingdom. And that's the greatest reality for those that are trusting in God. They're trusting in you this afternoon. So God, thank you for that. Thank you for your goodness to us. And that God, that you are inviting us into your plan, into your strategy and structure to see the world changed. And God, I give you thanks that you have allowed me to be involved in that and to have men invest in my life, to change my life by your grace. Uh, that I could have a wife and I could have boys and a coming little girl and students and fellow staff to love on. Thank you for the rich blessing that you have given me. And then I pray, Heavenly Father, that many in this room in the coming years would be able to say, um, gosh, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. So God, use this time, maximize it for your glory. We do pray in Jesus' Amen. 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 All right. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and give you your one thought here from the beginning. At the very beginning of the talk, so you can check out the rest of the time if that is what you desire to do. But this is it. I try to make it as simple and straightforward as possible. And it's this. A disciple disciples. And a disciple is disciple. That's it. Plain and simple. A disciple embedded in it. A disciple disciples others. And a disciple is himself or herself disciple themselves. And so that's where we're going. So at, at, at any point in first century Palestine, when an apprentice came up and called someone to follow him, it was clear as day what they meant. Clear as day. That the goal, when you were a disciple learning a trade, the goal was always replication. Always. Without a shadow of a doubt, if you didn't replicate, if you couldn't follow and employ what you had been taught, then you failed. The internship failed. The apprenticeship failed. Everyone knew you were being a disciple. You were following and you were leading so that you could then replicate and model what you had been shown. Now, for us in the Western world, 2,000 years later, that can get lost. But for the disciples... How the church has mainly been known for the last 2,000 years. It was a stark, very clear reality. And that's what I hope you come away with. That you would become, if you aren't already, or if you are, you would embrace your identity as a disciple. And you would long and love and give yourself to discipling. And you could not do that without being discipled yourself. So my family, uh, this is us last night in New Orleans. And uh, so we're at a family wedding and my wife Sarah, uh, two twin boys, Grace and Jackson, our little, they're seven, five-year-old little Callum, he's our little fullback. Uh, and we've been waiting for a little girl and she is right here. And we can't wait for her, as Sarah's friends uh, tell us she's our little cherry on top. So finally, I think we're going to be done. I think we'll be done. Uh, there are the boys up in the top right-hand 
picture, we did a little men in black uh, photo, photo op yesterday. It's on Facebook if you want to check it out. Uh, it's a good time. But I had a, um, so last night leaving was really hard. It's never been like this before, but all three of my boys were crying because daddy was going to be gone. And we, I, generally when I leave, it's not that big a deal. In fact, we'll see daddy in a couple of days or, or maybe a week at, at, at the longest. But last night was really tough. And uh, I'm, I, I don't know why last night was tougher than usual. Maybe it's because I've been able to spend the last, you know, nine or ten days with, with my family um, and socking in the time over the holidays. But last night was, was very hard. And I had a, my wife and I have, um, my wife became a Christian at the University of Georgia. And uh, through a sorority girl who opened the Gospel of John with her. Uh, she's an Alpha Chi Omega. And I thank the Lord um, that Hannah reached out to her. At the same time, though a few er, uh, years before, uh, a fullback on the Furman football team uh, taught me how to open God's word and, and, and told me what it said. And that it wasn't mainly productivity and performance that gave me right standing with God, but it was mercy, complete and utter grace. And uh, because of... of, uh, of of, of their lives, this is uh, our marriage and, and our family, but what, uh, what I had a man tell me about a, a year and a half ago is he said, Andrew, you're replaceable in every role that you're involved in, almost. So, uh, you know, uh, he started out and said, even a husband, you're, you're, you're kind of replaceable there. He goes, you're replaceable as a pastor and elder of your church, you're replaceable certainly as a campus already staff person, as a soccer coach for the seven-year-old soccer team. I'm replaceable there. We were really good. We were really good. Um, but he goes, there's one place that you're not replaceable. It's one place. And he goes, it's, it's a dad to your three boys. He goes, those are your three little men. Those are your three little disciples. And no one can take your place among these little guys and soon be hurt. And uh, as, as I thought about that, and I think, I think that's really true. I think it's so true. It's just so hard to replace a mother or a father. And when I take that to the spiritual realm, and I think about my life, and I think about who would I be and where would I be if it weren't for Mark's life, if it weren't for a center on the Furman football team, who's now in China, who decided his senior year to take me under his wing and to take me to fraternity parties and, and to show me what integrity looked like and how to relate with women healthily and walk me through a messy relationship I was involved in to come by my room and play video games with me. He would pray in front of me. He would pray for me. I, he would invite me to lunches with other guys on the team and I would watch him talk about religion, have religious conversations with people. And... Um, and I think, you know, Mark really believed uh, 3 John verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And I think that's what it is for a spiritual mother and father. They, they play such an important, important role in our lives and the role that you will play for someone else's life. Uh, even as Sarah and I have lived, we, we spent 12 years in Minnesota. We were there. Uh, we then spent three in England. 
And then we just recently moved out to Idaho. So we've been in Idaho out to Smurf Turf at Boise State uh, for, the last, for the last year and a half. I'll tell you in Idaho, this is what they do. All right, in every other restaurant you go to, there's like eight or nine hamburgers to choose from. Cheeseburger, blue cheese and shroom burger, whatever, right? They're all these different, you, then you pick french fries, right? Well, that's not how it goes in Idaho. There's like one or two ch choices of hamburgers, but you have eight choices of french fries. And so there's, it's like you can get eight different french fries, and then there's eight different salts, and then there's eight different fry sauces. So there's 24, is that right? 24 combinations? Is that right? It's a million. It's a million? A million. There's a million combinations there. Well, let's, um, let's, let's start out this way. I want you to take on whatever uh, pad of paper you have. I just want you to write down all the roles that are in your life. So for myself, I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a husband. Um, I'm a campus outreach staff guy, elder at a church. Just, you know, I'm a son. I'm a friend. Write down all the roles real quick. I'm going to give you about 15 seconds or so. All the roles that you hold in your life. You can write boyfriend and girlfriend down. It's acceptable here. Or crush. <laughs> all right, next. I want, I, now, I want you to look at your list real quick. So I, there, 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 didn't, there, didn't, there didn't need to be any certain type of order to them, though I think it's somewhat interesting to know maybe what type of order you wrote them down in. But now, I want you to then, in the second column, using that list, order them in terms of the priority you think you should give to them. Write them down in the order of priority in terms of their value that you should give to them. first one is we've listed all the roles. The second one is, well, how would I order these in a priority that I think in terms uh, of, of what is most important? What deserves my most time? What is my primary identity, secondary, tertiary, and so on? And then in the last one here, I want you to write down an order. Well, how does that work out actually in your life? Just be honest with you. No one else is going to look at this. I'm not going to have you share it with anyone. But I want you to know for yourself, when we, if you put it down in terms of what, how it actually practically works out, student, son, daughter, brother, sibling, friend, social life, athlete, whatever it is, how does it actually work out in terms of priority you give it practically in your everyday receiver on the Boise State football team and we were we were working through this right before their their bowl game a couple weeks ago and we, we wrote down his roles and we put them in a list of, in terms of their priority and then how what they actually look like in his life and and when we actually uh, began to work through the roles he didn't list anything spiritual and so I said hey do you think that you know it'd be good to maybe write down disciple or Christian 
or you know, something like that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I, I need to put that in there. Well, by the time we got done, actually, we saw that it was his first. It was his first role because he he knew yeah, that that's the most important thing in my life. Yeah. What we find with, I would assume in your life with this column and that column, I would say there's some discrepancy. And that's what we're fighting against in the Christian life. We're fighting for alignment and priority. That we know who we are. We know who we are as a disciple, as a Christian, as a believer, as adopted, as beloved. Whatever word that you want to give to it. But we don't find it generally at the top when it comes to the actually column. We find it two, three, four, five, or six, and so on down the line. And so what I want to do is I want to read a passage that we read after we worked through this. And this is about a man named Levi. Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 29. After this, he went out, Jesus, and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, Levi, follow me. This is a great Bible study to do with someone who is investigating Christianity. Think of all the things that Jesus didn't say to Levi. These are his first words to Levi. It, what, what did he not say? Someone say, what did he not say? He didn't say go to church. He didn't say read your Bible. He didn't say share your faith. No, he didn't say any of that. What he said simply, most basic format, I mean, come follow me. That tells us so much about Christianity. It's relational. It's friendship. You just don't pick it up by going to a service. You pick it up through a life, through someone's lifestyle. It's shared together. It's community. Levi, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And then Levi threw this great big party. I love what this is in the Bible. Levi meets Jesus. He feels invited into Jesus' life. He's like, hey, yo, Jesus, let me get all my other tax collector buddies around. We're going to throw a party, and it's in honor of you. That's how Levi lived. That's what he did. That's how he celebrated this. But the question that I asked Riley was, hey, Riley, what did it really cost you to follow Jesus? Has it? Has it really cost you that much in your life? Has it cost you a little? Has it cost you a lot? If you're really going to follow and a disciple disciples, and a disciple is disciple. It's got to cost you something. It has to. It should. If it isn't, then I'm not sure, so sure you're probably following. It's got to come with cost. And at least for Levi, when you, we ask the question, well, what did it cost Levi? In leaving everything, he rose and followed him. It costs Levi time and money. Time and money to truly follow Jesus. And if you are much like I am, those are the two things that you probably don't want to let go of. To come here, to invest yourself in a New Year's conference in Indianapolis, time and money. To be part of a, uh, a group around other believers, time and money. To be meeting with a staff or an older student one-on-one, time and money. Time and money again and again and again. And what we find for most of the disciples is not that they just stop their work completely, but to follow Jesus in very intense moments and intense seasons 
cost them time and money. It should cost you money. Time away from working a job, you might go in debt a little bit more. You're not going to have as much free time. That's what it will cost to follow Jesus as a student. Because you're not just a student who just so happens to be a Christian. You're a disciple who just so happens to be a student, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or a son, or a daughter, or a worker at Chick-fil-A. That's just what you are. All of those are next. And that's why my worldview got shattered in college, because I thought I was Andrew Knight, the football player, who just so happened to be a Christian. And that's why life got so hard for me when my girlfriend, who I was dating for three years, broke up with me and was engaged three months later. And then I lost my starting position to a sophomore because I was Andrew, the football player, a scholarship football player who just so happened to maybe be a Christian. And because I needed a reversal in my life, I needed a complete 180. But following Jesus is costly. It is very, very worth it. And when it comes to discipleship, we want to lead others. The goal is that, well, I think it's right to ask ourselves, are you leading yourself well? You want others to follow? Do you follow? Do you really follow costly, sacrificially, faithfully? Not perfectly, but faithfully. That you're faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we get pictures of people that he calls to follow him, they cost them something. To his friends, he threw a party for goodness sake. With all those, he did, I'm sure he was probably asking the question, man, what are they going to think about me now? Time and money. It wasn't easy for Levi. And so we're again here with a disciple, disciples, and a disciple is disciple. We can't get around it. That's what a disciple is, a learner, a follower. And we find in the words of Jesus, when he uses the same mantra, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I'm so thankful that this is Jesus' methodology for making me, making you into a disciple of women and of men. Plain and simple, he's like, just follow me. Follow me, die to self, die to money, die to the world, die to your time, die to your image, die to your desires, maybe your hobbies, and come and follow me. And when you do, I'll make you into something. I'll make you into someone, actually, is what Jesus says. I'll make people want to follow you because there's something in your life worth following. Those. What, what, what sort of attraction, magnetic pull is pulling him and her away from this time of talk or that type of crowd or that sort of limelight or whatever it is? Most of us chase the wind like everyone else does on the college campus because we don't follow. But I think it's, it's good to ask. And that's why the seminars, Disciples Who Make. Emphasis, disciples. You're a disciple. That should humble you. You are just 
a follower. I am just a follower. Should humble you to that. But you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, who fed thousands, who raised people from the dead, who spoke with authority, who forgave others of sins, who sacrificed himself upon the cross and lived a sinless life. It's like, yeah, jump on board. He is worth following. So if you follow according to Jesus, you will fish. If you're not fishing, it begs the question, well, are you following? If you follow, you will fish. And if you're fishing, well, it's likely because you're following. It's really helped a couple years ago with uh, an illustration, and I keep it on the back of my phone. I put a little card on the back of my phone, and I just remind myself that when I wake up in the morning, that this is my life. That I walk out of my house every single day, and I have two decisions. I can walk left to one well, or I can walk right to another well. Now, the one to the left is close to the house. It's convenient, and the, the masses are flowing toward that well. And I'm interested what's in that well, because everyone has their head stuck down in it deep, and they're lapping it up. They're drinking deep from that well. Everyone thinks it's water. It tastes like water. It's all that we've ever known, for goodness sake. And everyone else is moving in that direction. And slowly but surely, what we realize and what we find is that that actually is a polluted well. It's a poisonous well. There's arsenic in that water. We thought it was water. We believed it was water. Everyone told it was water. We've been drinking it so long, we really believed it was the pure water that that well promised. And yet, what we do is we go to that, and if you remember your devotional from this morning, Jeremiah 2.13, that rings a bell. My people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cisterns which can hold no water. So I walk out of my door and I run the productivity, I run the prestige and popularity and performance, and I drink deep of that well and I lift my head back up with all the other poor souls that have stuck their head down in that well and I thought, sure was satisfying and I go back into the house. And sometimes, hopefully, Lord willing, that we would come back to that house and we would get on our knees and that we would confess our sin broken before the Lord that we have polluted this and polluted him and forsaken him and yet because of the cross of Christ I remembered that atoning sacrifice for me and I rewalked myself through truth. God, I'm a broken failure. I'm unfulfilled yet again. I want to believe what you are offering in being the flowing fountain river of life is worth it. I want to walk out the door in grace and try to go right. And so empowered by grace, freed by mercy from going to the pit on the left, I get out, walk out my door, and I try to go with a few other people. 
because I know I'm not going to get there alone. It's a lot harder. It's a lot longer. But man, it's worth it. Because once you hit your head in that well and drink some of this water, you realize for the first time in your life, not a thought of love. The Lord is slowly killing you. When you begin to go to this well, you are made alive by the streams of living water that pour out of the soul of Christ himself. He is those things. And I bring this up to say is that I think this is what it means to follow Jesus. This is your scenario every day. Walk right. Walk out the door humble as a failure who goes to the left, but fight to go right and get as many people around your life to go right with you as possible. And when you fail left, get back in the house, receive mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ and walk back boldly outside the door and go right. That's what it means to be a disciple. Follow, follow me, follow me to the hill. Follow me to the pure well. Follow to where I am. And then take as many people as you can with you. That's discipleship. A disciple is discipled and a disciple disciples others. That's what he does. He goes right. She goes right. That's why she memorizes scripture. That's why she opens her Bible in the morning. That's why she shares her faith. That's why she journals. Because she's fighting with her life to go right. And freshman football players who walk into life at Furman University who have their head stuck in this with girls and grades and performance and popularity are praying and asking that someone would lead them right. If not you, who? Wanted to be you. Down deep inside, those that have their heads stuck deep down in this well wanted to be you. For my people have committed two great evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Why we make, why we make disciples or why not. Those who make, make because they follow. Those who don't, because they don't. Those who make, make because they follow. Those who don't, because they don't. And I want to make disciples. And I want to learn how to do that. And I want to do ministry. I want to share my faith. Follow him. Make your life consumed with following Jesus. It's a novel idea, and the word isn't used a lot these days, but obey. Talk to my kids all the time about obedience. We do things that we may not want to do, that we may not be convinced of, but on a deep, deep level, we are convicted that it is best, and we need to simply obey. I find it interesting at Christmas that I've been, I wrote a little book for my boys about 
the ten characters of the encounter of Christ at Christmas. And I was uh, filled with Zechariah. Zechariah and Mary kind of asked the same question, uh, though in a very different tone. And I really don't believe they were asking the same question. But they were basically saying, how in the world is someone this old or without marital relations going to have a baby? How's this going to come to be? And Zechariah is asking it in a tone uh, of, I don't believe that. My, my, my wife can't have a baby. She's too advanced in years, is a nice way to put it. She's a smart man. And the angel says, you know what the angel's response to him is? I stand in the presence of God. How would you not obey these words? Why would you not trust these words? I stand in his presence. God of the world who calls you to follow him and to fish when you just ought to obey. Obey. I'm convinced we would have more people gifted in evangelism who would have the gift, who would admit to the gift of evangelism if we have more obedient Christians. I think we would. If you don't throw your net in the water, you're not going to catch any fish. And what we're going to find out is because Peter threw his net in the water is precisely why he had the biggest catch of his life. It's not because he wanted to. It's not necessarily because he was most gifted. It's not necessarily because he thought it was a good idea. He just simply owed. And because you have the Spirit, you're going to get nudges to obey. And you will either respond in faithfulness, or you resist in unfaithfulness. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's a sea north of Jerusalem that kind of looks like the continent of Africa from an aerial worldview. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets, mending their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, Simon Peter's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. It's important to know that day that Jesus was uh, on the beach. The marketplace came to a standstill because there was a man who spoke with authority. And it was the beginning that the marketplace was emptying. The beach was growing because this man named Jesus was there. They were pressing in on him. Everyone thought, including Peter himself, that Jesus got in that boat for the masses. Jesus loved the masses, but he got in that boat for Peter. That morning was about Peter. The masses, yes, they were on Jesus' mind. They filled his eyes, but you know who was on Jesus' heart? Peter. He went after Peter this morning. He saw Peter. He got in Peter's boat. He got in Peter's life. He filled himself with the things that fill up Peter's mind and heart in worries and concerns. He's a fisherman. Put out a little from the land, Simon. In your boat. There's a lot of boats I could have chosen from. There's actually two sitting right there, but I want yours. I want to be in yours. I want you to watch me do something, and then I want you. And he sat down, and he talked to people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for 
and catch. Master, we've toiled all night. We've taken nothing in. I've thrown the nets. I've thrown the poles. I've rebated again and again and again. There's nothing out here, Jesus. Nothing. I'm a pro. In fact, Peter probably had his own fishing business. He owned his own boat, which was different than most fishermen at that age and time. You mainly leased to those things. He seemed to have his own. And he's got a crew that we're going to find out. A crew that worked with him, a fishing crew. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Don't you see the shift? But because you said so, master, I will obey. And when they had done this, they closed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the great catch of fish that they had taken. And also were with him James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Time and money. Time and money. There it is again. It was there with Levi, and it's here with Peter. Time and money. They left everything, and they followed him. A couple things from this story is that when it comes to being a disciple who makes, it's going to cost you time. Jesus took time to be with Peter. Now, it may look like it, but by this point, Jesus had spent a ton of time with Peter. Andrew, his brother, was asked to come stay with Jesus in John chapter 1, which happened before Luke chapter 5, and then Andrew went and found Peter. And then, Peter then accompanied Jesus to a wedding in Cana, where Jesus did what? He turned water into wine. And then Jesus says, hey, me and my family are going to go on a vacation. Peter, you want to come with us? And Peter's like, yeah, I want to go. They go on a vacation together. Then Jesus says, hey, I'm going to a religious festival called Passover in Jerusalem. You want to come? Peter's like, for sure. Then on their way back, they're at a well, and the disciples go in town to get food. Jesus is sitting by a well. Guess who he talks with? The Samaritan woman. They're kind of weirded out by that. But then the woman is like, this man has told me, you know, everything I've ever known. In the city, the Samaritan city invites them to come to a conference, much like this, I'm sure, for a couple of days. They accompany Jesus to this conference, and then they go back up north. Oh, and then Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law in her home. Jesus cares about the animals. All right? <laughs> now, what we find here is that Jesus saw Peter with time. And it wasn't mainly religious time. It was befriending time. It was come along with me. Remember, come and follow me. That's what you find. Come and you will see and follow me. That's how Jesus recruited. It's the same thing that we are. Come and you will see. Come and follow me. We're looking to sow time in with people. That that's how they would respond. So he seeks Peter with time. The second thing that... I love, and this wins my heart over. Jesus didn't have to go to these lengths to win Peter. He could have said, oh, yeah, fisher business. 
Come, come with me and let's go do holier things, Peter. Let's go put this, this uh, you know, fishing type work, this, you know, working in the factory, being a builder, a lawyer, medicine, you know, those kind of class B type jobs. Let's, let's move those over the way and you're going to come do holy work. That's not what Jesus did. I love that the morning Jesus walks out and calls Peter is the night that Peter had his longest, hardest, most overwhelming, embarrassing, shaming night maybe of his entire life. Besides when he wasn't faithful to Jesus. When they asked him, hey, are you a follower of Jesus? Maybe this is the second. Because any man with respect who's a fisherman who's coming back in from being out all night on the sea, needs to have something to show for himself. And Peter's got nothing. And we don't see Jesus not caring about the things that Peter cares about. In fact, I think Jesus is teaching a lesson to Peter. He said, Peter, I'm going to call you to fish for greater things, but you can trust me. I'm going to provide for you. When you've exhausted your resources in your job, in your capabilities, in your gifting, when you're worried about your mother-in-law who's sick, when you're unsure how you're going to provide for your family because you're married and most likely he has children, I got you. You might come up with nothing one night, but I'm with you. And I love this about our Christ. This is what I think how Jesus disciples Peter and how we disciple others is we care about them as an end. We, we, we don't, we, we, we press in, we lean into, we draw close to the things that consume their mind, to the things that they love, the teams that they like, the home scenarios and situations that they have, the, the sibling rivalry, the comparison, the great issues, whatever it is, finances, whatever. We draw into that. We lean into that. We own it as they own it. And that's what Jesus did with Peter. He owned Peter's core identity and wanted to prove to Peter, I've got you. This is exactly what Jesus called Peter. He earned Peter's trust because Jesus didn't push him off the way on poor little Peter who can't catch any fish on the bigger and better things. I want to be with you in your moment of the thing that you care probably most about. I want to meet you there. And then finally, what we find is that Jesus says, come along with me. And he brings Peter along. You will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything. And they followed him. And this is what Jesus did with Peter. He sought Peter with his time. He caught Peter with trust. Peter trusted him. Got to earn trust. And then he brought Peter along. He didn't keep Peter away from the, the two-day conference with the Samaritans. He didn't keep Peter away from his conversation with a woman. He didn't keep Peter away from his family at arm's length when they were going on vacation. He didn't keep Peter away from the wedding when Peter probably would have embarrassed him. Knowing him, he didn't. He let him in. And that's the beauty of what it means to be a disciple who disciples. 
Now, I want to go to a, a passage. That was Luke 5. I want you to cut with me to John chapter 21. We're going to find a very similar scenario. Beginning of Jesus' ministry, end of Jesus' ministry. What's he telling us here? This is post-resurrection. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Same sea. Gennesaret, Tiberias, Sea of Galilee. All synonyms for the same body of water. The 13-mile, 8-wide body of water there in Galilee. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. So they were all together. You know what Peter says? Peace. Go on fishing. Now, this is the third time that Jesus will have, is going to appear to these guys, okay? The first two times he's going to appear to them, you know what they're doing? They're, they're, they're cuddling up together, crowding together in the locker room, all worried and everything. Now, I probably would be too, but I'm just trying to give you a little imagery here. That's what they're doing. They're behind locked doors. The scripture says it very clearly. They're huddled, cuddled up behind locked doors. And I think this is a picture where it just hasn't landed yet. Yeah, sure, Peter followed Jesus during his life in 1 and 2, but you know what? He's just not so sure this thing is going to become a reality. Can he really trust that this is the Messiah and that he ought to follow Jesus? And I think we get a small picture of Peter saying, you know what, I think I'm going to go back to my old job. For good. I just, I'm just not so sure about this thing. I'm going to go fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and they got on the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Goodness gracious, this guy needs to get his act together. He's out all night again, and he still can't catch any fish. Just as day was breaking, saying, we got some morning here. Jesus stood on the shore, just like he did in Luke chapter 5. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to his children, do you have any fish? How humiliating. Okay, you know, one man to another. Hey, Amen. You've been out there long enough. You got anything? No. I've nothing to show for myself. All right. Cast the net to the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And it was something they couldn't even haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, this is probably John, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Luke chapter 5, he got on his knees. He was broken over his sin for not trusting his Lord. Not trusting him, one, to throw the nets over. Number two, to trust that Jesus would really have his back and be for him. I think the reason why Peter is able to, in a moment where maybe he's kind of caught, he's caught a little bit here, like he's kind of gone back to the fishing gig, he's probably not going to do the waiting for the Holy Spirit to appear and then go take my gospel to the end of the earth. Like, I'm just going to go back to what I was doing. And what I love is that when he encounters Jesus, it's not embarrassment, it's not shame. It's this Savior has already taught me what it's like to be received in sin. And if he did it back in Luke chapter 5, he can surely do it for me here in John 21. And that's the beauty of the Savior. He says, follow me, and when we go left and we don't go right, it's okay, because when he appears again and says again, call, go right, we can run freely, forgiven. We run in grace, and that's what Peter does. He threw himself into the sea, and the other disciples came in the boat, dragging that full of fish, for they were not far from the land, 
about a hundred yards off. When they got out of the land, they saw a charcoal fire in the place, and the fish laid out on it in bread. And Jesus does this all the time. He fed the 4,000, he fed the 5,000, now he's about to feed him. He's got his, he, he doesn't need their fish. He doesn't need their bread. He, does, he doesn't need our, our meager attempts at discipleship. But you know what he says? But bring some of the fish that you have just caught. I love that. Hey, come Daddy can't get this nail on the board. Will you put your hand on the hammer? We're going to take one more whack at it. I've tried ten times. I haven't been able to get the nail down. Count my five-year-old son. Put your hand on the hammer. Let's whack it one more time. Dad, I'm stronger than you, Dad. I'm totally stronger than you. That's him. Why? Come on, son. Put your hand on the hammer. Enjoy this with me. Let's do this together. So Simon Peter went back aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 150, three of them. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Again, he's calling Peter again. A disciple is discipled. From Luke 5 to John 21, it's not going to change. You're going to be discipled. I'm going to call you to follow me, to quit going left, to go right, to quit going back to your old ways and your old job and your old habits and come to the new way, come to the new man, come to the new life. I've purchased this for you. Come and throw some of your in with what I'm doing in this mission. I love this. I love this picture. He comes back again and he pursues you with yourself being in the wrong well and he comes after us. And the thing we find out and know from this is that Jesus bought Peter. He bought him with his life, with sacrifice. He revealed himself again after he already died for Peter. And he's letting him know, come and have breakfast. Come again and follow me. Now, one of the things that uh, I'd love for you to consider, and I didn't show this at the beginning, is that um, Mark Matlock, when he met me, he was a branch on a discipleship team, on a lineage of men who had invested in his life. And I remember Mark drawing something similar out for me. And after he drew it out, he put his name, and then he put my initials. He put his name here and my initials here and he put three question marks off the end he said Andrew who's who are you going to fill those question marks with who are the three men on the Furman football team you're going to pray for that you're asking God that you're going to invest your time with, that you are going to win trust with and then you're going to transparently share your life with and fight to go right it was one of the most convicting things that I had ever been asked in my entire life I felt incredibly humbled, and I felt honored all at the same time. And I tell you that who are those that don't make disciples? Those who don't make disciples are slaves to self. I love it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He saved us that those who live might no longer live for themselves. 
You don't have to live for you. Jesus has lived for you. Therefore, you are freed from living for you. The second one is that those who are a slave to sin. You continue to go left, and that's all you do is go left. You're not going to lead anyone right. You yourself need to get people into your life and pray and fast to go right. And finally, the last one is superiority. Prideful people aren't willing to be led, and prideful people won't lead. They won't. I know it sounds odd. Humble people will be led, and humble people will lead others because it involves time. That's what it takes. And if I'll end with this in terms of things to consider, those who do, I think those who are disciples who make are primarily followers. They follow Jesus. They know the seven verses in Scripture where Jesus says, follow me. And they know exactly what he tells them to forsake. Go look them up. Find out what they are. Take one a day for the rest of your life and pray it. Every, every day for a week and then start it. The second one is they're great friends. They win people over. They love them as an end in and of themselves. They care what they care about like Jesus did for Peter. And finally, they fish together. And I would say in the years that I have been led and am being led now and desire to lead and want to lead others, the things that I do is I try to open, we try to open the Bible together and we try to build a relationship together and then have some sort of religious conversation together. I think if you can do those three things with another person, you're headed in a really, really good direction. And I think a lot will come off of that. So will you obey, will you love, and will you share? Um, just one thing is that is a free ebook, and there's a diagram in the back that's connected to discipleship, and I didn't get to share it. But if you would like that free ebook, email me, and I can send you the link. It's also on the book table if you want a hard copy, but I didn't get around to it. But I think it's, it's, it's something when it comes to seeing the, the understanding of what it means to be a disciple from beginning of the Bible to the end. I think it does a, a, a good job of communicating that for yourself and for another. To win someone over to this understanding of what it means to be a disciple. A disciple, disciples, and a disciple is disciple. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask, God, by your grace and by your goodness, help us follow you. God, we, we pray as we follow, by your grace and by being empowered to follow you, that you would make us into fisher of men and women. God, would you do that for this room? Would you do that for us here into 2020? As there are many that have their heads stuck into the well on the left that are crying out for someone to go right and to take them right. God, would we be so used in such a way as to pull people away from death and to pull them to your son, the fountain of living waters, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at conyc.com.